Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 21st, 2020, we continue our new series titled, The Parables. Today's sermon, Hope for the Helpless Heart, will be taught to us by Pastor Ed Lutz out of Matthew chapter 15, verses 2 through 20. Enjoy. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were so acutely aware of how how much physical health is important? I can't think of an, a time ever. You know, we all know it's important to exercise and to eat right, to take supplements, do whatever we can do to try to be healthy. But man, to think about the emphasis today, I don't know that I've ever lived in a, in a day and an age where that was so stressed and so important. But you can look at somebody and you can think, man, they, they're the picture of health. They, they're strapped, you know, they're six-pack, they see them running every day, they're biking. And you think, man, that person, I wish I was as healthy as that person over there. But is that accurate? If you look at somebody, can you actually say, I bet, I bet they're really healthy? Because on the outside, someone may look like they're in perfect physical condition. But we may not be aware that there's a, maybe an underlying health condition that you do not see. Some of us might have an underlying health condition that we're not even aware of yet, but yet if you were to look at us, you'd think, man, they, they look really, really healthy. I remember uh, I was getting married, 22 years old, honey, I think that's how old we were. Uh, and uh, you, know, you get that blood test, right? And you gotta make sure that you're healthy. And I gotta tell you, I was a buck 35. I'm running 40 miles a week, literally, just, I was just, I thought I was a picture of health. My blood work comes back. I've got a, a hereditary condition. I've got high tr- uh, uh, cholesterol and high triglycerides. And I'm at 22 years old, and the doctor says, you're gonna be on medication the rest of your life. What? <laughs> really? Say, I was born with it. It runs in my family. Do you guys have one of those? Do you have something like that? And no matter what you do, you, you're like, man, I'm going to do all these things right. Maybe, maybe that'll fix it. Well, it helps, but ultimately you can't cure something that's there by nature. You're born with it. And did you know that each of us is born spiritually with a condition that we ourselves can't fix? If you want to call it anything, I guess you could call it spiritual heart disease because all of us, man or woman, uh, we have an issue of sin. We were born that way. And there's nothing that we can do in ourselves to fix that cure. There's nothing we can do physically to fix that spiritual condition. That's our main point for today. We are going to talk about the fact that there's no religious tradition that can cure our spiritual condition. The only way that that happens is if God does it, if God can give us a new heart. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter 15. If you wanna open up your Bibles, if you have one, or turn there on your phone or on your Highlands app. Those of you at home, hopefully following along Matthew chapter 15, we are in a parable series, and we're gonna look at an encounter that Jesus has with some folks, and he is gonna tell us a little bit of a story. I have several people who are friends of mine, and they're in medical sales, and one thing that they do is they have the privilege of scrubbing in 
on surgery, right? They sell these medical devices, maybe it's some implants, some instruments, and they actually get to go into the operating room and watch the surgeons use the tools that they've sold or some of these devices. They get to watch them do the implants. And you get to scrub in. So you have your hand sanitizer? Come on, take it out. We're going to scrub in today. I want all of you to get out that hand sanitizer. I know you have it. (laughs) Put it on your hands because we want to prepare ourselves for the message we're going to hear today. And by the way, it makes it smell a little nicer in here. It makes it smell a little bit cleaner. All right. So we're going to watch Jesus, the master heart surgeon do surgery, and we are going to be in the operating room, folks. Let's prepare not only (laughs) our hands, but let's prepare our hearts. Father, we do come to you right now as we open up your word. We just want to get it right. We want to see what it is that you're trying to say. As we go through this passage, Father, I just pray that the words of Jesus would convict us to the point that we surrender to you. That as you do heart surgery, not only in us, but we see Jesus do heart surgery on the crowd and the disciples and the Pharisees, may we not walk away remembering what he said to them, but help us to remember what you say to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Are you there? Matthew chapter 15. The parable, actually, the passage we're going to look at are verses 10 through 20, but like any time we come to a passage of Scripture, we need to set it up a little bit because the parable that Jesus is going to tell here is based upon the context of the first nine verses, and I'm actually going to just kind of set the stage a little bit even before that. Jesus, at this point, is extremely, extremely popular, famous really throughout the region. Everybody's flocking to him, and in chapter 14, I think, is the miracle chapter, In chapter 14, he fed the 5,000 people. People had been coming to hear his teaching. They'd stayed there for a while, grew late in the day, so he feeds them, and it actually says in chapter 14 that he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, which is a miracle in in itself. But what's even more impressive is if you look in the middle of chapter 14, it says that the 5,000 people were men besides women and children. So some people think he fed up to... 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So after that amazing feeding miracle, what happens at the end of chapter 14 is he walks on water, and that's where Peter gets out of the boat. So Jesus not only has fed 5,000 plus people, then he walks on water later in that chapter, and then by the end, he's in the region of Gennesaret, which if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, and it's kind of right here, it's on the western coastal plain, beautiful area. And he has had many, many people here that he's there. And so all who were sick have come. And so now he's, he's healing people. All they have to do is touch his robe and they're healed. So that's the context. So you can imagine how many people are there, how popular he is. And then let's look at chapter 15. The first thing we're looking at on our outline, if you have it or you're looking at your app, is the religious tradition. The religious tradition. And what we're going to see here is that there's no amount of external ceremony that matters to God. So we're going to look at the futility or the uselessness of holding on to religious ceremony. 
The Pharisees, verse 1, chapter 15, the Pharisee and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they said to him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. See, aren't you glad we, we did this? <laughs> yeah, it's important, right? Has there ever been a time in our history where hand washing has stressed so much? Well, these guys come 60, maybe 70 miles. They've been walking for three days. Now think about it. If you were walking for three days and you know that you're going to ask Jesus a question, what would you ask him? Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? Hey, when I get to heaven, I think I'd like to ask God this question. Have you, have you got one locked away that you think you'd like to do? Now, I don't know if we're going to have the opportunity. Maybe God will be gracious and say, okay, yeah, bring it on. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I used to work in kids' ministry, and I used to always have fun. I used to ask the kids, do you think Adam and Eve had a belly button? They wouldn't, right? <laughs> That'd be kind of strange to just kind of look at Adam and Eve just straight down here and no hole, right? Because they didn't come from another human. So, so what question would we ask? So these men have been walking for three days, and this is the question they ask. How come your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat dinner? That's the question? Doesn't that seem kind of nitpicky? Well, really, if you think about it, it encapsulates everything about what they're about. See, they're hung up on this Tradition And what's the tradition? Well, you don't see hand washing other than Le Levitical priests in the Old Testament. There's no commandment in the Bible that says you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. Right, these are ceremonial washings. These are traditions that they've invented. And so maybe you woke up and uh, there was this thought that maybe an evil spirit visited you during the night. So first thing they do, they wake up, they do a ceremonial hand washing. If you were Jewish in this time and you came across a Gentile in the marketplace, oh man, you're ceremonial, ceremonially defiled. So in case you ran into a Gentile who you thought was somebody who was unclean, you gotta wash your hands before you eat. What they're trying to do basically is trap Jesus because if he trashes their entire system of tradition, all the things that these Pharisees have been teaching people, they're going to make him look bad in front of everybody because these people held to that as well because why? The Pharisees told them that's what they should do. Well, Jesus answers them in verse three, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Well, I love that. How does he answer them? <laughs> he answers them with a question. You see, anytime somebody comes to us and they want to maybe ask us a question about our faith or why we believe a certain thing, do you, are you quick to give an answer? See, right now, that's kind of, that's an attacking question. So what Jesus does is he gets in the driver's seat. That's what we call that in apologetics, right? He's, he steers the conversation. He comes back with a question and now they're on the defensive. He's shifting the burden of proof here. He says, what's the big deal? You're, you break the very commands of God because of some man-made tradition that you have. And he goes on and he basically says, you know that fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? You guys, you guys dishonor that. You don't even keep that because you've created the system where you can designate something as a gift to the Lord, and that way you don't have to give it to anybody. So if your elderly parents come to you and they're maybe lacking food or they need a place to shelter, you know, Mom, I'd, Dad, I'd really love to help you here, but I've, all that money that I have, well, that's really God's money, and I've given it to him, so I'm sorry, you're out of luck. 
And eventually they got to be able to hoard their possessions and just keep those things for themselves. And Jesus says in verse seven, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Your tradition is overriding the very commandments of God. Why are you so hung up on your traditions? And then he says in verse eight, as people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You're elevating your traditions not only on the level of scripture, but really above the holy word of God. So that's the confrontation. That's the setup. These guys are all hung up on this hand-washing thing in ceremony. And what Jesus is going to get to now is, you know what? It's not about external ceremony. It's about your spiritual condition, which is our second point. It's all about the fact that each of us has inherent sin. So if you fill in that out, that's our second point. Our spiritual condition is that we are all born with sin. And there's nothing that we can do physically to fix a spiritual problem. Verse 10. And he called the people to him. Who are they? That's that crowd, right? He called the people to them and he says in verse 10, hear and understand. Okay, I know you can hear my voice, but listen, get this. I want you to get it. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. It's a self-polluting. You're making yourself unclean. See, there's nothing that you can do physically and put in your mouth that will defile you. We're going to see later the reality is we're already defiled because it's going to come from the inside out. There's nothing you can do to make yourself unclean. Spiritually, you're already that way, folks. That's what he's telling them. Now, the first word in verse 12 is what? What do you see? The word then. If you look at this, the parallel account of this passage in Mark chapter 7, at this point, Jesus takes his disciples and they go into a home. So here he has been public. He's been publicly rebuking the Pharisees. He's been publicly teaching the crowd. Now they've gone inside a home and the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? That's the word scandalized. It's pretty harsh, right? Man, you created a scandal out there. You should see what's going on out there. These guys are ticked. And they're embarrassed. Verse 13, and he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Some translations say, stay away from them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. What's he say there? He says two things here, right? First thing he says is these men are not of God. They may look like it on the outside, but what did we see in verse nine? Their heart is far from them. These are not people planted by God. These people do not belong to God. I thought these were the religious elite. Exactly. See, but they are, they've bought into the system of works and they promote that and they put that burden on people. These are not God's men. And then he says they're blind. Now the Pharisees used to pride themselves on the fact that they could lead the spiritually blinded people. He says, they're not guides to the spiritually blind. They're blind guides. And not only that, 
They're leading people down a, a spiritual pit. They're going to spiritual destruction. The word pit there, if you look at Matthew chapter 12, it's, it's like a watering hole. They would have these holes along the way, maybe in the field or along the side of the road, and they'd be cisterns. And so if you had an animal or a sheep or you're out in the field doing some work, you know, you, you could take your animal there and it could get a drink and they'd be full of water. Some of these have dried up. But you see in Matthew chapter 12 that a, a sheep falls into a, a hole and the and Jesus says, you've got to pick that sheep up. Get him out of that pit. Well, these guys are doing just the opposite, right? They're actually not only in the pit themselves, but they're taking everybody with them. Now, you think this is a pretty harsh statement. If you want to make a note of Matthew chapter 23, this is where Jesus really goes off on these Pharisees. And I don't have time to look at it today, but it is a scathing, scathing rebuke. These guys were in big time trouble. And their eternal destiny is, is, a, is in dire shape here. So you see the problem? See the problem of focusing on external? Now what did Jesus say when he told the parable? I want you to hear and do what? Understand. Peter missed that, verse 15. But Peter said to him, can you explain that parable to us? <laughs> I heard you but I don't think I understood it. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? See, see the parable, there were there are several illustrations here, right? You got, the, you got the blind leading blind, you've got the plant illustration, but the parable that we're looking at is the idea of something going in your mouth, down your esophagus, through your digestive tract, and out the other end. That's, what, that's, the, that's the analogy here. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. You see, it's already there. It's already there. See, the heart is the seed of emotion, will. Everything that you are at the very core of your being, that's the concept of heart. So you, by your very essence and nature, are defiled. What's your heart like? Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Let me ask you, raise your hand. Have you ever had one of those? Okay, see? <laughs> That's our spiritual condition, naturally. What else is in there? Murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Do I have to convince you of that truth? Can you just look and read the blogs and watch all the TV news over the last four or five months? Is there any doubt in your mind that mankind at his core is this? We have a lot of people say man in his deep recesses of his heart is naturally good. Jesus is not only saying that's not true, but I think we need to say that that's not true. All you have to do is look around and see that natural man is defiled in his spiritual condition. He's born in sin. And man, that's never been any more obvious than it is today. Familiar verse for many of us is Jeremiah 17. And we, we hear the first half of this verse, but we never really read the second one. And it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? I love the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. Who can understand the depravity of man, the human heart? The Lord can and, and we see the Lord telling you what's in there. 
in Matthew chapter 15. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, is able to look inside of our hearts and say, I can tell you what's in there. But you know it's true because you can see it just coming out and what people say or what they don't say or what they do or what they should do. It is a, a naturally, inherently dark place, the human heart. And then verse 20. It's the summary. All these parables that we read usually have a wrap-up verse to give you the main idea in case we missed it. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. It has nothing to do with hand washing. You know that whole physical ceremony thing that focuses on, on trying to be clean? Well, that's a physical process that bypasses the heart spiritually. Now, that was a great parable, and I certainly don't need to give you this illustration, but I, uh, I'm going to do it anyhow. There it is. <laughs> that's the human heart. Now, it's pretty dark, but can I tell you what's inside? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sex, the list goes on and on. This is our natural condition. And there is no amount of determination of the will that can change that. We can't decide I want to be good and then end up changing that. There's no amount of determination and effort that we can do that will spiritually fix that. You know the only thing that'll fix that? It's not determination of the will. It's got to be a surrender of it. It's got to be giving our heart to Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that whoever is in Christ is a new creature. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. We can't fix this, but the way that God fixes that is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we are in Christ. You see, we can't infuse righteousness. Some of you might know that term. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in a denomination or a religious uh, heritage or how many candles we burn or how many prayers that we say, how many times we go to church, how much money we give. No amount of what we call righteous deeds can be infused into our heart to make us spiritually clean. We have to be in Christ. We can't determine in our will to be spiritually clean. We have to surrender our will and place our faith in Christ. And when we do that, we take on his righteousness. We are justified. What a wonderful truth. If this is your heart today, and you recognize these things, and you're just at a point where, you know what, I'm just tired of fighting. I want God to clean me up. Will you surrender your heart to Jesus? I know this passage ended with this, but I felt in my heart I wanted to Give us the hope of the gospel. A new creation. You see, there is hope. That's our last point. There is hope for the helpless heart. We are helpless in and of ourselves. The prophet Ezekiel says, you know what? I want to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I want to give you a heart that's tender to the things of God. I pray that that's your desire, that you would give your heart to Christ. Father, we are just so thankful for our time together. Thank you for this illustration. 
It's a visual representation of what happens when we quit striving, we quit trying to do things on our own, trying to hold tradition or walking away from tradition. None of those things really matter. We can be church-going people but be like the Pharisees and have a heart that is far from you. Help us not to determine to be better. Help us to surrender to you that you can make us completely righteous in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Those are great words. Man, I hope we mean it. (laughs) Right? Because I don't want this kind of heart. (laughs) There are a lot of people who are advocating hand washing. And uh, physically, it's great. Spiritually, not so great. Right? It didn't do the Pharisees any good because it's easy to go through the the external ritual and ceremony and totally miss the heart. We have a lot of wonderful people that we love and care for that are really wanting to make a difference. Can I tell you, without Jesus Christ, ultimately the heart is not gonna change. We need to give people the gospel. You see, what you have in Jesus Christ is you take people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We once were an enemy of God, now we're a child of God. He alone can fix this. Now we know that. My challenge to each of us is will you tell somebody else this week that truth? Christian, are we giving God our lip service and having hearts that are far from God, I pray that if that's true, that the Lord would also encourage us to repent of that as well. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Have an incredible week and uh, share the love of Jesus. God bless you.